So uh, this morning, uh, just g- going to do a, a quick uh, infomercial here about THX. We want to see you be involved with what's going on at THX, whether you're going to be here for Thanksgiving or, or not, if, uh, or uh, what have you. There's a way that each and every one of us can be involved with THX. Um, THX is... Um, our uh, Thanksgiving event, and essentially it is born out of a desire uh, that Outward Church would serve our communities, uh, our, our community, and basically it is our way of participating in, in, in revealing the kingdom of God in our city and showing people what it looks like to be a part of his church. I spilled my water right before I came up, so uh, thank you, babe. Um, and so it, it is our way of participating in that we're calling everyone at Outward Church to be uh, plugged in, involved in some way, shape, or form. If it's just giving, we need, we need money. We need money. We're, we're anticipating uh, needing to raise about $14,000 uh, over the next several weeks. This normally just comes together, and we don't know exactly how this happens uh, every year, but, um, but it does. And so over the last several years, we have had uh, just, I mean, just for every year that we've had this, I mean, there's just been like this clutch moment where it's like down to the wire, like we still need, you know, X amount of dollars, and it's, it's well outside of our means uh, to be able to uh, reach that as a church in its entirety, and so uh, people step up, and, and it is uh, awesome. And so we're asking all of us here to give generously uh, to this effort in our community. I, just, I want you to know something, and that is that um, THX, um, the, our Thanksgiving event, is like the hallmark thing that we do throughout the year. And the reason why, uh, one of the reasons why it's so helpful is, first of all, we get to impact so many different people throughout the community. I mean, there are many, many people who uh, do not have food on Thanksgiving. We get to be a part of their celebration um, and to allow them to celebrate giving, giving thanks. We hope to the God who provides, and so um, we're excited to do that. Last year, we had several um, dishes of, uh, of food left over, and so me and my kids and my dad, we went door-to-door knocking on, on uh, some apartment complexes, uh, found some people that were in, in, in desperate need. You could just tell by the situation that they were living in. You know, one-room apartment, bed on the floor, um, not really even able to get up. And so we were able to bring um, this guy food and, and uh, hand it to him. And, and I, I don't know what happened from there, but we, we just, we just and there were several situations like that. In addition to the families that we were able to serve um, who have signed up for in advance, but a lot of times we have extra food, we're able to take that out and go to places that look like they need it, um, and, um, and so forth, and, and lo and behold, we, we end up finding those people. Um, so uh, if, if this is the only time I'm going to say this, unless you're reading your Bible, but if you want to pull out your smartphone and, and you want to take a look at this, uh, you can uh, go to thxsalem.com, uh, that would be awesome, thxsalem.com, and what you can do is you can open that up, open up that, that web address, and it will take you directly to where you can sign up to be a part of uh, serving at THX. You can click the yellow button that says volunteer and uh, go from there. You can put in your email. Um, it won't actually sign you up yet, uh, but it will get, it'll, it'll get that, that started. So here are the volunteer areas, and these are general categories um, and each team has various shifts or days, um, each uh, uh, d- different shifts um, on each day. And so, uh, first of all, we have the admin team, um, and, and basically the admin team is basically you, the administrative task that it is to put together um, 200 some odd families, uh, get their name and phone number, um, the, the school gets, gets their permission uh, so that we can call them, we call them. Um, many times they are Spanish speakers, and so we need a lot of Spanish speakers. So if you speak Spanish, uh, we really need your help on this team. It would be so helpful. Even if you're horrible at administration, um, it would be awesome if you could just help translate, talk with them, things of that nature. Um, 
but we need a lot of Spanish speakers, but basically we have a packet for each family, and we uh, fill that packet out. You know, how many kids uh, are, in, are in the family? What are their ages? Um, how many people will be at Thanksgiving dinner? And uh, so how many people are we serving? So we make sure we give them an, enough food. Do they want a Christmas tree and a, and a stand or just a Christmas tree? These are all things, and it goes into a packet with a map, and then it's filed away. And so we have their phone number, their address, all of these things. Sometimes we can't get a hold of the family because uh, some of these families are just in crisis. Uh, they haven't paid their rent for a while. When they signed up, they get evicted by the time we end up going to serve them. And so uh, we have to try and track them down through the school or some other means if we, if we have a phone number, if their phone doesn't get shut off at the same time. And so um, admin team is a big deal, and we need people to sign up for that. So if you're thinking at all that you could help with that, that would be fantastic. There will be some, uh, some meetings. Um, I believe one of them will be on uh, a Sunday uh, prior to Thanksgiving. And um, anyway, you can, you can help with that. That would be awesome. Secondly, we have the tree team. So this is typically guys, but if, if you want to, you know, heave trees, ladies, you, you can do that as well. And so um, there's the tree team, and this team handles the acquisition and preparation of the Christmas trees that will, will be delivered on Thanksgiving Day. So typically on Saturday, we go pick up all the trees. We take them to Richmond Elementary <clears throat> at some point. And we put them in the courtyard, and then from there, um, all the way up through Thanksgiving at some point, um, typically it's on the day before Thanksgiving, they trim the, trim the end of the tree, put the stand on, get it standing up straight, and, and things of, of that nature. We, in addition to that Thanksgiving day, we need guys to be hauling trees out of the courtyard, out into where uh, people can pull up and throw the tree in their car and get going. So uh, third, the gift team. The gift team finds out which kids, uh, the, the ages of the kids, they determine what gifts to give those kids. So we're trying to buy things in bulk. We're thinking of going through um, uh, Amazon this year. They'll be doing some wrapping, um, um, not like whoa, whoa, wrapping, but like, uh, uh, <laughs> but, uh, like, wrap, like paper wrapping. And so I, I just, ho I was hoping you weren't getting confused by that, but um, so then uh, there's the, the cooking team, and the cooking team is, is, is obviously going to be doing some cooking, and so there's just all different kinds of tasks involved in that. As I've said, we just, we just have an organization that uh, is willing to help us out, and so uh, we're not advertising who that organization is. It's, it's not like a, this crazy secret or something like that, but they just have asked that we not uh, advertise that, and so um, basically what we're doing is, is uh, we're, we're serving uh, these people. They're going to have some, some people there that are going to help make sure that everything goes according to plan. Apparently, all of the turkeys are going to be cooked in four hours. And by the way, this is massive because normally this is like a two-day project for us. They're saying four hours, they can get it done because they have the ovens available for that. So that's pretty crazy when you're talking about close to 200 turkeys. Um, and so, and, and our hope this year, I believe, is that we're not going to be carving the turkeys, which we do normally for them, and split them in half. We're trying to make turkeys go further. We get these huge Costco turkeys. But this year, uh, it looks like we're going to try to get smaller turkeys and send one with each uh, family. And so that's, that's the plan there. Um, and that will also be primarily, I believe, the day before. Um, but you, you'll be able to find out more about that. Set up and tear down team. That's getting the, the place ready on Wednesday um, getting Richmond Elementary gym ready to go, getting the tables all set up. Last year, we probably got somewhere between 100 and 150 people through the line out with gifts in probably 30 minutes or less. I mean, it, this was a finely tuned machine. It was amazing. A lot of that is due to our admin team and Brian Bradley and Tim Porter who are, who are doing all this stuff to set this up. It's 10 years of experience um, feeding this many people. Um, let me just, oh yeah, let's set up Anterodon team. And then at the end of the, end of the day on Thanksgiving Day, which would be around noon, 11.30 noon, we're hoping to get done right around that time. We just need people to grab everything out of there, throw it in their cars, bring it to the church, or take it somewhere and just get it out of there so that we can head off to Thanksgiving dinner with our own families. Lastly is this, is THX delivery. This is the main event. We're asking as many people as possible to be a part of this. Um, you can sign up at Connect Central. I believe you can sign up online as well through uh, thxsalem.com. 
um, but you can, you can do that, but we need as many people as possible. Last year, we had staff that were still um, delivering meals at like noon, and so what we need is we need people to sign up for this, to come, to make sure that they're there, and just, just go, 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 go until it's done, and our plan is to be done by noon. I don't think we've ever gotten done later than that, um, and so that would be super helpful if you as church members could take responsibility and say, we are a part of this effort, and we are going to serve in this way, and so we're going to come back until everyone's relieved of this so that the burden isn't carried just by a couple of people, but by all of us, so that would be super helpful. If you've noticed out in the lobby, we have the THX boards uh, that are up. Um, each card uh, in, in the lo- on the lobby uh, presentation there represents a need. Once you've signed up, you can grab a card, and this is your receipt for signing up, and, you, and it will serve as a reminder uh, to be a part of THX. In addition to this, as you sign up online or you sign up on your phone, we're asking you to let, allow, uh, allow us to text you. Um, in years past, a couple of things have happened. One has been we haven't... Um, uh, followed up the way that we should have. People fell through the cracks sometimes. And so one of the ways that we're hoping to overcome that is by having text messaging available so that we can remind you, hey, tomorrow we're meeting to do this. You can text us back and let us know if you can't be there. But we're just asking, like, if, if, <clears throat> if, if you would please, when you sign up, do everything you can to show up. It would be so helpful for us. Um, and that is that for right now. Immediately following the service, those people who are, who are going to be leading, if you think that you could help lead in one of these areas, if you'd like to lead in there, we do need leaders, and Spanish speakers, admin team people. If, if that's one of you people, the, the rest of the teams, you can just sign up online. But if you're Spanish speaker, admin team, um, if you feel like you could help lead in one of these areas, at 11.45, straight through these doors, there's some double doors just straight on the other side of the, the lobby there. At 1145, we'll be having a quick meeting to tell you what that'll look like, and so we could use your help in that. Thank you for listening, and we'll get on to the sermon now. I'm sure you're anticipating that, and so uh, we're going to be in Daniel uh, chapter 3. You can turn there with me. Um, While you're turning there, I'll just give you a a brief, uh, quick introduction again to what's been happening in Daniel. Daniel is a Jew. He's been taken captive along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and other people, but this is who the story is about. They've been taken captive into uh, Babylon, and Babylon is trying to inculcate or, 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 or indoctrinate them, I should say, in their way of life. They've taught them for three years, and really what's been happening is that Daniel and his buddies have really stood out. They are the cream of the crop, and what they have done throughout this entire period is that they have honored God, even as they've been in a secular culture. The the reason why we think this book is so important for us is that we as people oftentimes believe that we're a part of a Christian nation, when in reality, we have a a nation that's been built on Judeo-Christian values, and that those are good things. God has put those things in in place uh, as this is the way that his world works best. Those are good things. But our nation is not Christian in and of itself. It's not really a Christian nation. And people push back on that and, they, and this and that and the other thing. But I would submit to you that we have a pluralistic uh, nation. This nation is a nation of many gods, many, many different types of gods that people have, and one of those being the nation itself as God, uh, liberty and freedom being one of the biggest gods that we have as Americans. And so uh, what we see here is that Daniel and his buddies are actually working in government, and they're doing an excellent job. And so what we've been trying to communicate here is how do you work in the belly of the beast? How do you work in the government or in some type of corporate society where it just feels like everything is against you as a Christian. And how do, we, how do we deal with all of the things that are coming at us today from our society? What is our responsibility when we're in the midst of these cultures? How do we continue to, as we've been saying, sing the songs of God while we're in the midst of Babylon, while, while we're in the midst of exile, while we are still in captivity in the midst of this society? 
And so we've been asking that question, and essentially we've been answering it slowly. This last week, we were, uh, and over the last several weeks, what we've been talking about is a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and it really troubled him. And Daniel was finally able to tell him what that dream was all about. And he said, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold, and basically your kingdom's going to come to an end, and then ultimately God's kingdom is, is going to come in and wipe everything out, and his kingdom will grow and, uh, and fill the whole earth. And it was basically a message to Nebuchadnezzar saying, stop trusting or stop hoping in your own kingdom. And yet Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen because at the beginning of chapter 3, what we see is just an immediate response. And I believe that the author wants us to see this. He wants us to see Nebuchadnezzar doesn't get it. It says in chapter 3, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. And so what, what happens is, is that Nebuchadnezzar hears this story perhaps, maybe he's always had this idea, but he builds this image of gold. And we talked repeatedly about how oftentimes we associate ourselves in Bible stories, these heroic stories. We, we assimilate ourselves with the, with the hero or the heroine um, of the story. And we say, you know, that, that, that's me. I'm going to be Daniel. I'm going to be Shadrach. I'm going to be Meshach. I'm going to be Abednego. But too often we don't realize that we are just like Nebuchadnezzar. We've been building an image, an image of ourselves. We've been trying to make ourselves look like we're something that we're not. And ultimately and finally, God's word to Nebuchadnezzar was, my kingdom will overcome your kingdom. I am sovereign. I rule over all. And he still doesn't get it. And just like Nebuchadnezzar doesn't get it, we don't get it. And we continue to go on building these images of gold, these lifestyles. And we come to God and we say, God, how can you make my life better? How can you make my life more palatable? And oftentimes, <coughs> excuse me, oftentimes we believe that if we just follow God a little more, like if I just have enough faith, if I, if, if I just do what God wants me to, then God will bless me and the things that I'm doing. Many of us have this viewpoint. God, if, you know, we, we act like the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son. And, and, and we say, God, after all that I've done for you, uh, you don't bless me the way that I want you to bless me. After all that I've done, you, you don't give me what I want. And so... We are implicated in this, in this story in that we don't respond the way that Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego do. Too often we're caught up in the middle of things. And so what's, what's happened is that this golden image has been set up, and what takes place is that they basically say, you must fall down and worship this image when you hear the music. When you hear the band start playing, fall down and worship this image. And so what takes place is here in uh, verse 7, it says, Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, many of us, we can say, you're like, we would never do that. We would never, I mean, this whole idea of having these statues and like hearing this music and worshiping this stuff, like we would never, we would never engage in that. But there really are some similarities to our society today that we don't really see. If you think about the Statue of Liberty, it's, it's a massive statue. This statue in, in this biblical story is about 90 feet tall. I actually didn't check how tall the, the uh, Statue of Liberty was. Maybe one of our nerds in the, in the audience would know this. But, uh, you know, uh, it, there's, we have a statue that's in, the, in this, uh, this harbor. And it, this is something that we look to. And we, and, and, and we look to this thing as being the representative of what we really believe in, which is liberty. We have this statue that in some ways we worship. Think of Colin Kaepernick and what he has been doing. Whether you agree with him or don't, I, I won't even enter into uh, whether I agree or disagree with this. I, I'm, I'm simply an observer on society, and, and, and uh, we're not, we're not going to get into that right now. But think about what people are upset about with that situation. And Colin Kaepernick is not worshiping 
uh, our country in the way that some people believe that he should. He's not worshiping. He has not assumed the posture. He is bowing down, in a sense, to something else. And so our society is up in arms about whether he should or whether he shouldn't. But yet we still say, oh, we would never do that. But yet our society does get upset about what we worship or what we do not worship. Think about Harvey Weinstein and what he's been doing. He has created an image of himself. He has been God. He has been a very powerful man. And he has seriously wounded and injured uh, people. It sounds like allegedly uh, there are 60 some odd women But then you hear more and more stories about all of these men who are in power who have abused their power. And what's actually happening is this, is that these guys have created an image of themselves which says that I am God and you will worship me in this way or you will not have a job or you will not work for me or you will not or you will not or you will not. So when we say, you know, we would never do that, it's not really true. Those are extreme examples of celebrities and and things of that nature, but those massive things translate into perhaps smaller things in our own life as we are creating images of ourselves and we are asking other people to bow down to us. And by the way, our culture is doing the very same thing. Our culture on a regular basis is, cre- is creating images of themselves, their self, I think is actually more grammatically correct. Uh, they are creating images and they're saying, everybody must bow down to what I believe is God, to what I believe is true. Everybody must be a part of this. Everyone wa- must see fit to bow down and worship me. And the image that I've created. And so today, although we don't have a king per, per se, we have a president, but he doesn't have absolute control in the way that kings did in those days. But our king today is pop culture. It's pop culture. And here's, here's how we know that culture is king Culture is king because we go into the workplace and we say, the things that they're asking me to do are contrary to what my biblical beliefs are sometimes. And so how do I respond to that? The things that my family members will talk about and agree with uh, over Thanksgiving dinner are not things that I agree with. And so many times we find ourselves slipping into the immorality That is all around us. And in fact, it is in us. We are not uh, free from blame here. But many times we start saying, okay, we're going to start agreeing with this. We're going to start operating in this way. We're going to start doing this. And just like the people, we all bow down oftentimes. We're bowing down to these fake gods who are not real gods because of the fear, just like these people had of being outed as somebody uh, who is not bowing down and worshiping these cultural idols that uh, the, the cultural king has set up. And today, as we are in, in, in our world, day in and day out, every single day you see a new outrage that our, that our world comes across. Can you believe that this guy said this? Can you believe that this corporation has done this? Can you believe that this, can you believe that? And so it's created this outrage culture. And outrage culture is, in some senses, the fiery furnace of our day. And it speaks into how we're going to respond and how we're going to speak and how we're going to operate. And so how do we sing the songs of God when we're in the midst of this culture that is constantly coming to us and saying, you must worship this God or you will be thrown into this fiery furnace. You will be burned alive. How do we respond to that? I want to be real careful that we're not here pointing the finger at our culture and saying, look at all these immoral people out there. I've purposely spent two weeks in the beginning of this sermon communicating to our church that we are just 
as at fault. We are just as maligned as anybody in our culture. We are people that are influenced by our society. We are people who are continually in this place where we are also building an image. Hopefully, the difference between you and somebody from our world is that you're continually repenting of this sin. And you're saying, I am in, in, in need of God's grace. I'm in need of his mercy. I'm in need of everything that he, that he has. I'm in need of the cross. And so as a result, this is, this is what we need. And so how do we respond when culture is king and we don't want to be on the wrong side of history? And how do we respond when these things come to us? What should we do? And so the story says this in verse 8. It says, therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." There are certain Jews, there are certain foreigners, king, um, whom you have appointed. These, these guys, you put, you put foreigners in charge here, and they're not falling in line with what we see that should be happening in our nation. You've appointed over the affairs of, of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O, ki o king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The first thing that you see right here is that what's happening is it's active discrimination. It's a, it's a kind of racism. They're saying, king, these people were brought in here against their will, albeit, and you've put them in charge of these things, and here they go. They're not real Babylonians. These people aren't real Babylonians. They are just kind of stand-ins, and they're not operating according to our cultural customs. They're not operating according to what our kingdom says should take place. And so immediately what you see is that they have been discriminated against. What do we do as Christians when we experience discrimination? Now, there, sometimes there's too many things that are called discrimination. There's too many things that are pointed out as, as discrimination. Too many times we're, we're, you know, whining and hooting and hollering about every little detail that takes place. What should our response be? It says in verse 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the, tri the band, uh, fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Key statement there. <laughs> There's no God that's going to deliver you out of my hands. And that's what our culture believes. Culture is king. Culture believes that how can you get away from, from what we believe? How can you get out of our grasp? How can you not submit to our rule and to our reign? There's no God out there that's going to that's gonna save you from this. But notice what they've been known for. Notice, first of all, that they're not being commanded that they can't worship their gods, that they can't worship their god singular. The king isn't saying, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, don't worship Yahweh. What he's saying is, okay, also worship my god. The image that I've set up, the thing that I've created, I, I also want you to worship this. That's what he's saying. So he's not saying you can't worship your God, but here's the thing that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know or understand, and that is that to worship any other God is against our God. To bow down and worship anything, to worship and serve the created thing 
over the creator is idolatry. That's, that's what it is. So he's not saying, hey, what, what, essentially what he's saying is he, there's compromise here. Listen, I'm not saying you can't be a Christian in this society. I'm just saying you must also worship this. And so what should our response be when there, there, there's, there's essentially like you have liberty to be a Christian, but you also must worship these things. And to be clear, our culture doesn't use necessarily worship language. It uses other kinds of language that basically say, you know, you're a bigot or you are this or you are that if you do not do these things. And so how, how do we forego that? How do we get over that? And this is probably one of the greatest answers in the Bible outside of the answers that Jesus had. Nebuchadnezzar has just said, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And it says in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Let's just stop and consider what that what that's saying. Some of your translations say, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves. <clears throat> we don't need to, we don't need to say anything about this. Let's contrast that with today. The persecution comes, and, and perhaps it's real persecution. Perhaps it's saying, you know, I mean, there was a story a little while ago, the football coach who was praying with kids. You can't pray anymore. You, you, you're, not, you're not allowed to pray to your God. Um, what do we say? What do we do? What takes place? Well, well, oftentimes, we find people who side with us, and we post their statements. When we post statements, when somebody speaks better than we do and we, we post what they have to say or they're more popular or they say something on, on these lines and oftentimes they're harsh statements. What is true and what isn't true. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, outside of the reality that they didn't have Facebook or blogs or the media or whatever, they just said, we're not, we're not gonna defend ourselves. We have no need to defend ourselves in this matter. When the rule came down that you must bow down and worship, it wasn't, we're going to the media and we're going to make a stink because they're asking me to do something that I'm not. No, they just didn't participate. And other people saw their lack of participation. As one pastor called it, it's quiet non-participation. They're just not going to do that. They're just not involved. And really what a great thing to be a part of because what was taking place was they were in the midst of this uh, society and yet they're known for doing what's right. So much so that people are pointing fingers at them and saying, I've seen how they do not participate in the idol worship of our day. I've seen how they have not come out in favor of this thing or of that thing. I've seen this, but here these guys are, these, these followers of Yahweh, and they are involved in not boisterous condemnation of society, but in quiet non-participation. Too little is said about gentleness and meekness when it comes to persecution. Too many times we get so wrapped up in the idols of our culture with culture as king, whether you are uh, conservative or liberal, we get involved and wrapped up in, in those idols of complete freedom in one direction or the other. 
and we scream and we yell and we do not understand, you are not quietly uh, engaging in non-participation, but you are loudly engaging in the same thing that the culture is doing. And that's, and honestly, that's what a lot of us have been involved with. I think uh, one of my biggest hurdles as a pastor, when I, as I was getting into ministry was, and I, I think I've said this many times from up front, was I, I really lacked gentleness. And I didn't just lack gentleness with people in the church. I just, I was, I was brash. I was harsh. I, um, I'm hoping that, that God has healed me of that to some degree or another, but I know that it can poke its head up even further. I can engage in that sin. But I, I, and I had really bought into a stream of thought that says that in order to be a strong pastor, it's okay for you to be harsh. It's okay for you to be those things. I should apologize now for those of you that experienced it, if I haven't already to you. But too little concern is given to the idea of being gentle. Are you gentle in the midst of persecution? It says in 2 Timothy 2.24-26, it says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. But that just say, it says, like, if, if you're going to be a servant of God, like, this is... This is this is what it looks like to be a believer. It's definitely for people who are in leadership, but it's also just for Christians. It is the model of Christian leadership that Christians are supposed to be following. Look, look at what it says. Like, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. I, I had to look at my own life and just say, I've, I'm, I'm quarrelsome. I see it in... The, in, in, in uh, sometimes with uh, my neighbors, um, I've been working on that over the and I, and I haven't gotten a lot of spats with my neighbors and things like that. But my attitude, my inner attitude, when someone frustrates me with something that they do, I I I needed to be gentle. I needed to not be quarrelsome. Now, why am I stopping at this? Because I think that's the root of the issue. That it will, what it looks like to be a follower of Yahweh, to be, to, to, to be someone who has faith in Jesus Christ as the God of the, of, of the universe, as the way to God, is, is somebody who takes on his nature. And this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were doing. It was quiet non-participation. O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to defend ourselves in this matter. So the first thing that they do is they, they answer gently. They answer kindly. Look at the kindness of their response in the midst of a culture that is discriminating against them. They're, they're discriminating. They're responding with gentleness. Verse 17, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That is a killer statement. Let's just read it again, okay? If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, break this down for a second. Okay. You're going to burn us alive? Okay. There's numerous stories of this, of people who would not recant and who were burned alive in, in other cultures, times, and things of that nature, and even today, I think, as it relates to ISIS. But what, where is their hope? How do we respond when this happens? 
It's quiet and gentle non-participation. But when real persecution comes in it and there's a threat that's made, what, what's going to happen? Well, ultimately, what, what they're saying is this. Our God, whom we serve, is able. So there's this full-orbed view of who God is. Like God is ultimately and finally and completely sovereign. He is absolutely in control of all things. And He is able to deliver me out of this situation. God can choose to change the hearts of your boss and of the people and circumstances in your life as you're threatened with what may be a modern day burning fiery furnace. God, God is able to do that. But the question is, 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 what do you believe in the situation? Do you believe that the ultimate aim is that your life is preserved? Self-preservation. Fear of the unknown. And so what's happening is this, is that instead of having faith in God, you're having faith in your own faith. If I just have enough faith, then God will come through in this situation. If I just have enough faith and I believe and do not doubt, as the scripture says, if I have this faith, then God will allow me to keep my job or will, allow, or, or will do this or do that or do the other thing. No, what, what their faith is in is not in their own faith. It is in the sovereign God. When you get off track and you start believing that somehow, like as long as I'm faithful, God will protect me. God, as long as I'm faithful, God will never let anything happen to me the way that he did to Jesus. As long as I'm faithful, then I, I will, everything will be fine as long as I have enough faith. But your faith ultimately isn't in God then. Your faith is in your ability to be faithful, to believe. You're trusting in yourself. Guess what? You've built an image in your own likeness. You're worshiping and serving the created thing rather than the creator. You're saying, I can do this. I can accomplish it. I can make it happen. If I do these things correctly, then nothing bad will happen to me. This is the problem. So what do we learn from them? They believe that he's able to deliver them. He's able to deliver us. And he will deliver us out of your hand, okay? He will, if, if he wants to. But if not, it's just, it's just a passing statement. But if not, but if not, their belief was firmly in this, that God's sovereignty had already led them into Babylon. They're in captivity. They're in the midst of a horrific society. Their people are being abused. They're in the midst of this. And they're saying, like, we have incredible faith in who God is, that he's able to change any and all circumstance. But if he chooses not to, it is God's prerogative whether he chooses to save you out of the furnace or whether he chooses to bless you in some other way. And literally, both of these are a blessing. Because either way, they're saying, we're not going to go with you to this other God. We're with Yahweh. And if we have to go with Yahweh to the burning, fiery furnace, we will go with Yahweh to the burning, fiery furnace. What are they remembering? All of God's incredible acts Throughout the Old Testament, they're remembering God saved our people in spite, of, in spite of their sin, in spite of their inability to do what's right, in spite of their inability to have faith and to trust Yahweh after he had just 
brought them through the Red Sea. Like, come on. He literally parted the waters, and you're still not believing in Yahweh? No, they saw these stories, and they were like, God's faithfulness in spite of the unfaithfulness of his people. They see that, and they say, God, we trust you no matter whether we go into a fiery furnace or whether we do not go into a fire, fiery furnace. But it is up to you. We're trusting, not that we have enough faith, but that you know what is best in this situation. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Too many times, millennials in particular, are waffling on what, it, on, on what they should be worshiping, what they should be honoring, what they should be engaged with. Waffling. And as our culture is progressively moving, there, people even in churches are saying, you know what? I think it's okay to act outside of God's design and intent for marriage. I think it's okay to, to engage in sex before marriage and just try this out. Take the car for a test drive. I think it's okay. I think it's okay. I think it's okay because everybody's doing it. Everybody's a part of it. Everybody's already bowing down. What's it going to hurt? Well, the thing that you and I don't see, some people have seen, and they're not even Christians. I've brought out this example so many times, but I think it is so emblematic of, of what's been happening in our society from David Foster Wallace. When he connects worship with this idolatry, David Foster Wallace, he was not, not a Christian, to Kenyon College, at the Kenyon College graduation in 2005, not long before he committed suicide, he says this, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship, and the compelling reason for may, maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. And he goes on to give example after example of money, sex, and power. Basically, and, and the more you worship your, your sexuality and the more you worship your money, the, mo the more insecure you get. And so he's saying the compelling reason for following this God or this deity or something like that is that everybody's worshiping. And it is, I believe what he's saying is these, this is responsible for the ills in our personal lives, our insecurities and things like that. It is because we're building ourselves up. And so our culture comes to us and they say, you must bow down and honor my sexuality, what I believe my gender is. You must bow down and honor how I've decided to live my life and my family and mistreat my kids and, and my wife. You must bow down and honor the way that I've decided to do business. And what is our response to be? You have, here you have the choice. You have burning fiery furnace, being burned alive, or you can go along with the culture. And too many times we go along with culture. Why? Because we are just as implicated in the midst of this. We are just as responsible for this. It's, 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 it's all worship. It's, it's all related. And at the end of the day, we need to be able to say, be it known to you, very kindly, very gently, with incredible respect, hoping that someday this person, these people, this people group will come to a knowledge of the truth and, and, and repent over their idolatry. Be it known to you, our culture who is king today, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I will not bow down and worship what you have. I will not honor that. I'm sorry. Okay? Okay, here's the repercussions. Are we able to do that? It, it's, it's only going to increase, folks. Culture wants to tell us that that we're advancing, we're gonna be on the right side of history, we're eliminating things like slavery, which is a good thing. 
we're, we're tackling social justice issues. Those are good things. Meanwhile, there are other ways that our society is just going into the depths. There's a, a political um, you know, concept called the Overton Window. And uh, not to be confused with Glenn Beck's book by the same name. I haven't read it. I don't intend to. But um, the Overton window is basically the, the window of acceptable ideas and what is outside of that window of what's acceptable. And it essentially goes like this. Like what was once unthinkable becomes radical. And what was radical becomes acceptable. And what's acceptable today becomes sensible, and what is sensible becomes popular, and what's popular becomes finally policy. Our, our world is not moving in the other direction. Our world is moving in that direction. And it is continually taking things that, that were once considered unthinkable, and it is causing them to be policy. And you and I will be and are in the midst of this today. We, we are in the midst of this, and we will continue to be so. And what will your response be? Will it be, I, I just want to escape the condemnation, or I'm willing to go with God even into a fiery furnace because God is sovereign? Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered that the furnace, uh, he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who uh, took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Complete faith in God, speaking truth to power. Uh, godly men, by every, by every measure, are still thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. They have faith in God. Is their faith inadequate? No. Their God is adequate because he can do whatever he wants in whatever situation. Some people did not have the type of outcome that they're going to have. Some people really did go through and were truly tortured and didn't make it out the other side alive in this life, but they still had God. But notice that they still had to go through this fire. 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Who is this? We don't know. Some people say it was Jesus. Some say, you know, it was an angel. Some, nobody knows. We don't know. It's wrong to speculate, I think. I have my ideas, but whatever. Who's with them? God is with them in some form or fashion. God is with them. What's, what's God's promise to you in the, midst of, in the midst of a fiery furnace, in the midst of this life? And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age, Jesus says to his disciples at, before he ascends. I'm with you. God's promise to his people is always, I'm going to be with you. Even in the midst of this furnace, you want to get close to God, be willing to go through the furnace. You want to walk away from God, say, you know what, I'm going to follow the golden image. You want to walk away from God, that's the way to do it. You want to be with God, suffer for doing what's right. Walk in obedience. That's the way to be with God. And God is with you even and through. It doesn't mean that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ that God walks away from you every time you choose to willfully disobey. It just means your connection with God is diminished. Your connection with God is reduced. 
You're, you're not walking with, you're not growing. You're continuing to do whatever it is that you want instead of growing in Christ and experiencing the fullness of having relationship with God on a deep level. So he says in verse 26, Then King Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies of, these, of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. So what, what's happening here? They get thrown into the fire. They're sitting there. They want to roast these guys alive. And what takes place? They're looking in there. They see four guys. They're like, what the heck is going on? And so King Nebuchadnezzar goes up, up to the door of the fiery furnace, and he says, hey, guys, come here real quick. Come here. And they're like, oh, I guess we're out of time out. You know, they're like, well, walk back out here. Yeah, what's up? What's happening? And imagine what all of these governors and satraps and prefects and all of these officials are just like, like standing there just going, Dude, you just went through a fire. Like, you just went through the ringer. And I see that God was with you. There's no explanation for what's happening in your life. There's no explanation for why it doesn't even seem like you have been affected by this. You don't smell like fire. Your, your hair aren't singed. There's nothing wrong with you. Think about the similarity there. When you walk with God into fire, when you walk with God in, unto, under the condemnation of the culture, and yet for the glory of God, I will not serve your gods. I will not bow down and worship your golden image. When you walk with God into that God is with you, he will be near you, and the goal of that, as you walk in faith and say, he may save me from that, he may choose not to. God didn't save him from actually going into the fire. He saved him from, being, from them uh, being affected by the fire. You'll be in the midst of this horrible circumstance, and yet somehow you will be okay. What, does that mean that these guys didn't have some difficult moments? Oh, God, where are you? Please, 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 please. I do not, I do not, I can't even imagine. God, please, please, oh, God, where are you? It doesn't mean that we're not saying that. And there was some kind of, like, Ned Flanders idiot who's like, I did it, God's going to save me. No, there's real difficulty. There's real problems. But you're walking with God Nebuchadnezzar says this in verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yes, he's getting it. Uh, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar got it. Finally, this is what they're all about. He's been told multiple times, like, God came to him in a dream. I mean, it's amazing. He's going to be about the kingdom of God, right? Verse 29, therefore, I might make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. It's like, yes to the first part, Nebuchadnezzar. The, the second part, not so much. Like, just, like, let's not kill people who disagree with us. Too often that's missed. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar's going to stick it to all those people. Christianity does not do well when it is in power. It thrives under persecution one of the best things that we can deal with is the persecution of our community, 
and our culture? And how will we respond? How will we respond to this? I'm hoping that it's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But more importantly, those point to an even better person, which is Jesus. Because Jesus went to the fiery furnace. Not, and it wasn't like he didn't know this. He knew that that's what he came into the world to do. It says in Isaiah 53 that he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. It, it, it says that, that he knew that this was going to take place. In fact, let me read it for you here in just a second if I can find it. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are pointing to an even greater sacrifice. Not one that would be haphazardly killed, but intentionally killed, like the plan of God. God's sovereign choice was that he would be killed. And yet, Jesus goes to the cross. He's oppressed. He's afflicted. He's discriminated against. He doesn't open, open his mouth. He just, he just goes. He willingly goes into this, the fire that he had. It says in verse 8, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. Like he had done nothing wrong. He had done nothing wrong, yet he's discriminated against. He's killed. And it's, it's not that he goes into the fire and, oh, and God saves him. No, he goes into the fire. He's burnt. He's killed. He doesn't just go to the cross. He goes to the cross and is killed. That's why he's better than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So it's not like, hey, be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No, look at Jesus. They're pointing to Jesus as being the ultimate source of any type of sacrifice, any type of any of this, because he actually goes through the fire. It says, in verse 10 of Isaiah 53, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Like, it's not just that, God, where are you? Where are your, things feel out of control. I mean, Jesus felt that when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus felt that when he's in the garden and he's sweating blood and he's saying, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus felt it. He knows it. Like, it's difficult. It's hard. I'm, I don't know that I can do this. I'm, 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 I'm under this incredible strain. And yet he's submitting to the will of the Father. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Enough with this crud that says that if you have enough faith, you won't be wounded or hurt like Jesus was. Enough with that. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. God's sovereign will may include the loss of something in your life. In fact, I believe that it does. What happened in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life? Everyone around them sees the glory of God. It's clear that you walk with Yahweh. It's clear that your God is God of gods and Lord of kings. It's clear I see it from the effect of your life. He saved you out of this. But God may not choose to save you out of your catastrophe. How will you walk? How will you walk through that? Will you walk with Jesus or will you walk with culture? Always in fear. Always trying to preserve yourself. Will you walk against culture? Try to vote everybody out of office that hates the Christians. Scream and yell and protest. Or will you walk with Jesus? It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. 
when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. What's going on there? But God's going to do something amazing. You can't walk with God unless you have Jesus. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? We're not talking about walking in morality. We're talking about walking with God. And the way to do that is by acknowledging Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. He actually went through the fire of God's condemnation. He actually went through that for you and for me. Have you received that by faith? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would that you would stir our hearts, Lord, that you would impassion us to be about your will, to be about um, your kingdom. Lord, I I don't know how many of us have realized and have really looked, uh, sat back and looked at our culture and and just kind of viewed the various things that we're giving into, the pressures that we're we're allowing ourselves to, to give into. Lord, I pray that we would stop this fear of our culture as king, and Lord, that we would begin to walk with you through these fires. Lord, I pray that for myself, I, it's easy to say on a stage on Sunday morning, it's, it's harder to do in reality. It's easy to say after a sermon that, that we're going to act this way. It's a lot harder. 